You're listening to episode two of Lee Side Lives, and I'm pleased to say our guest on this week's edition is Irish sports broadcaster Trevor Welch, who hails from Cork. And we're recording today uh, just alongside the River Lee. In fact, you might be able to hear the, the lovely ambience of the River Lee alongside us. Trevor, thanks for taking time out today to speak to me. You're broadcasting since 1984, I believe, 35 years now this year. Where did it all begin? Yeah, I suppose it even began before that, Jordan, like because um, my neighbour was a singer. Uh, he was a tenor and he had a broken mic and he gave it alone to me because he saw me in my alleyway with a ruler like doing pretend interviews with English managers and doing a, a mock-up of the 1977 FA Cup final I'll never forget Man United and Liverpool with United winning 2-1 and me being a United fan you know I had everyone in the alley most of them were Liverpool fans and um, we went through but to the commentary which was which, which was done at the time by Alan Parry I remember and uh, ironically enough Years on, I would, uh, I ended up sharing a commentary box with Alan Parr, you know, during my European games, which will probably come to later. But to think I was only 12 back then in, in 1977, and to do those commentaries um, to where I ended up, you know, it does give you great satisfaction, you know, because it's, it's, a, it's a one in a million chance. But, you know, the, the old saying, if you follow your dream and dream big enough, um, it, it can happen. And uh, it happened for me, which was, which was great, really. It's incredible when you think about it. And nowadays you're, you're presenting the score on 96FM, which mixes music and sport, because music is another big interest of yours. So it's nice to bring those two passions together, isn't it? Yeah, I always had that uh, kind of thought in my mind all the years. Like you mentioned, my broadcasting career started in 1984, which uh, which started my own parish in Toker. And I remember cycling down to Mickey Daly, who was running the, the station at the time in a caravan in the back of his house. And, um, you know, I was on a... 18, gone on 19 and um, you know he said send in a demo tape and he gave me a weekend slot with Ken Tobin actually and I, I called myself Scott Jensen at the time in it. Um, and I was doing music and sport back then believe it or not, just a bit of sport but I used to do a Saturday show called Hit and Miss and what songs we thought would be hit and which would be a miss but I, I would kind of give a bit of sport on it because my love for sport and I played soccer all the way up through school boys right up to Monster Senior League myself you know, so I always said huge passion obviously for sport and a, a huge passion for music so you know combined they were great I remember Jimmy McGee did a programme God rest him years and years ago called Sounds Like Sport and great music mixed with sports so I was in that in my mind and um, you know when, when I when I did I suppose the big red bench on Red FM when I started in 02 God rest him Henry Condon asked me to, to do that programme and it was all sport talk sport which is, still is what 17 years later but uh, I always had a feel for the, the energy of the music. Um, I know people might say, you know, there's probably a bit too much music and enough sport, but it's always a great mix, you know, for maybe the woman in your life and the man together in a car, whatever. It's the, I think it's the perfect blend. Yeah. And I know it's four hours as well. It can be hard to talk for four yeah. hours in sport, but, you know, I, I just think music and sport anyway, you know, even when I work for Cork Multichannel, I would have been in the edit suite all the time putting documentaries on maybe sports people and always finding the right song to fit so it's always been a good fit for me and thankfully I'm doing it now on the score in 2019 you know so it all started in Toker really Trevor when was the big breakthrough for yourself I mean every every professional whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch needs needs a break when mm. did your break arrive it's a good one um I suppose I was always serious about radio I mean a lot of people go into radio as a hobby and they'd have their own job but I always felt this could be my job you know sure. I remember like I was asked in school you know by my career guidance teacher he drew 
stuff on the board like um, fire brigade station guard station you know pilots whatever maybe but my stop wasn't on it and he said where's your stop and I said you know either a professional footballer or a broadcaster like yeah, you want to yeah. do television or radio you know and I was at a field for him as a young fella so I suppose going back to your question after when I was on Radio Carline there was a guy Mick O'Brien he's since passed away as well he took over the second coming of South Coast Radio as such like around 1985 the year the Cock 800 and I asked him was there a chance of a slot like and he listened to my demo and he listened to me on Radio Carline he goes yeah he's come in and see me and I changed my name from Scott Jensen then which is <laughs> which is really out there like to uh, Trevor Stevens kept my own first name and the, the soccer player Everton soccer player at the time Trevor Stevens oh yeah yeah and uh, so it's Trevor Stevens um and I thought, like, you know, with, with South Coast, um, obviously it had a great name, and even though it wasn't the original South Coast, we had some very good DJs there, you know? Fellas that are still doing their stuff today, like PJ Coogan and Rob Allen and Ken and Pierce McCarthy and Paul Byrne. And we were all there, you know? Yeah, yeah. The late Pat McCall of God rest him. We were all there on that station of South Coast. Um, so it's, it's amazing, really. You mentioned the, the personalities there who've gone to have a career for themselves in, in radio and TV like so clearly pirate radio community radio hospital radio good places to start off great really like because you know it gives you a chance to I suppose you know you know you can make mistakes on it um, it's a great training ground if you're serious about it you learn from it you record yourself you go back in it you straighten out all the rough spots and um, you know stay at it is what I'd say to young fellas coming through you know, don't be afraid of the sound of your own voice. Just improving it gradually, and you know, um, I suppose with me in South Coast, and you talk about the breakthrough. I suppose I was there for three years, and people you say to me actually at the time like, "How can you continue to do this without getting paid for it?" Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it puzzled them like that. I could put so much work into it and so much dedication, so much passion into something that I might have got a tenner every now and then from you know at yes. the end of a month or something like, and. Um, I just said no because I believe like this is this is the, this is the business I want to be in like this is the career I want like and at the time I was working for a bookmaker as well so I was getting money John O'Mahony's and I was doing a few discos right. you know in the Lacey House and stuff so that's where I was getting my money and spending most of it on records as well like that you know but I think you know in '88 then just a year before they give out the license for radio I got a call from local television Cork Multigen at the time which started up coincidentally around kind of 85 as well when, when they recorded for the Cork 800 the St. Patrick's Day Parade but three years on in 88 they were looking for kind of a, a sports presenter Eamon O'Keefe was doing it with Bill Haydock they were the manager and assistant manager of Cork City at the time but they weren't really I suppose they'd say themselves cut out for it like you know but they, they were they were advertising for a sports presenter then you know a young sports presenter <laughs> I put up my hand anyway and I got an audition and uh, the rest is history shall we say like I I was up multi-channel for 10 years and that was such a great breeding ground for the likes again on myself and Marty Morrissey and Paul Byrne and Michael Cochran. We all came from that school, you know. And I think we're lucky in Cork like that, you know, you know yourself, like we're sports mad, city and county, and if you couldn't do it in Cork, I mean, the, you know, the friends I made out of it, the contacts I've made out of the contacts books, phenomenal. Like, and the people I'd have interviewed, and probably did the first ever interview with Sonia Sullivan, for example, who came into multi-channel, like on a school uniform, probably after winning a cross-country race. Mad, and yeah. I probably did one of the first ever TV interviews with Ron O'Gara. And, the, you know, from Jory Sportstar kind of thing, going back all that time when he was with Cork Con. So, you know, the experience from there. And I suppose multi-channel was where I thought, yeah, I'm interviewing people like Steve Collins, who's just starting out in his own career. 
and so that was probably the breakthrough where you said you know you could put really good stuff together to sell yourself from there so many memorable moments earlier on obviously TV3 was a massive part of your career as well it's Virgin Media nowadays Trevor and you're still commentating with them are there particular games moments that spring to mind when you reflect on your career yeah um, I moved to TV3 in the summer of 98 um, I suppose before I just say there were, there were one or two standouts of multi-channel that I should just probably mention like because they were first like when Cork won the double in 1990 uh, I remember on top of the Savoy Patrick Street when the two cups were there Tomás Mackay and Larry Tompkins swapping off the cups and the streets were thronged and I was doing a running commentary as has never been done in the history yes. of television before like so I was always kind of proud of that like that and in our time probably no one won the double so that will always stand out you know as a huge one but from TV3, um, remember getting the audition in '98 and called back for a second audition. And I think because I could do links without even autocue, because multi channel probably at the time, with all due respect, couldn't afford to have someone full time doing the autocue. <laughs> so I was so used to it, even without the autocue, kind of stood to me. And I landed a gig as anchor in '98. And I remember another first, like obviously. And there were many in my career, which 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 is great to look back on, I suppose, when I think of it. And I've only been thinking about it lately, but that was not a first doing the first ever sports bulletin for an independent television broadcast. And so that stood out in, in 1998. I think Cork won the minor hurling that year. It was the first story, I think, coincidentally. But, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, Jordan, like, the two things that I'm usually kind of, I suppose, proud about, really, like, um, even though, you know, I'm just fortunate it came my way, I suppose, the right place at the right time was... Um, you know, I did the Europa League final at the Aviva Stadium in 2011 um, when two Portuguese teams played there, Braga and Porto. Porto winning, Falcao getting the winner. But, uh, you know, it was the first time in the history of Irish soccer that a European final was staged in Ireland and I was commentating on it. So, you know, being the only Irish commentator to commentate on a European final in Ireland is uh, it's a great honour like to do, you know, and look back on that with great satisfaction. And I suppose... You know, getting to commentate on the Liam Miller tribute match at Park Aquive. I mean, the only time a soccer match we probably ever played at that hollow turf in Park Aquive. And I went there as a kid all, for all those years watching Cork hurlers and footballers when it opened first in the 70s. And then to, you know, be the commentator for Virgin Media um, on a soccer match with my favourite team, the Man United, uh, playing as well, you know. And, um, you know, that brought me huge satisfaction. I was wondering would I get the nod to do it, like, you know, being from Cork and. And I was instrumental, I suppose, in bringing Michael O'Flynn together with the powers of being Virgin Media as well, you know. Um, and I was delighted Virgin went for it, number one, and then for me to commentate was the icing on the cake. So, you know, it was great. It was a very sad occasion, obviously, but it was uh, it was a great honour like, as a Cartman to, to do it as well, you know. You know, I suppose the first real breakthrough then with TV3 was we'd, we'd no library as such. Like, we went up and we... Um, you know, we we no library for our, our our new stuff, and people were saying, you know, what are you going to use? And so, you know, give it a bit of time. It's going to take time, like. And uh, I'd say the lads in RT didn't probably take it serious to say that little ga- garage out there in Ballymont, but you know, it grew up to be much bigger than a garage, as everyone knows now. You know, yeah, but yeah. I suppose I always believed that I was in the right place. You know, and in 2000 we got the breakthrough, we got the rights for the Champions League, and the first thing that stood out was my first ever commentary was in the new Camp. Barcelona against Leeds and I was commentating with John Toshak uh, a giant of the game in, in every respect like he was a giant of a man about 6 foot 5 like, and um, I remember going through my stuff for him and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't nervous I mean it was it was a very sunny day I remember going to the new Camp in Barcelona 
and it was very hot there but I was sweating for more reasons than you know it was nerves too like, and um, we were so high up and I remember my favourite commentator of all time Brian Moore I remember as a young fellow listening to him in the new camp and he was with his theatrical voice saying it's a beautiful stadium and we're so high up here we could shake hands with Mr Moon you know kind of thing and I had to pinch myself when I was in the same commentary box like myself then in 2000 the year of the millennium doing Barcelona Leeds and I think I just about got through it but it was very difficult because you couldn't see the numbers of the jerseys visible you had to go off the monitor for most of it um, but the new camp was just so high up and away from the players but that was a real baptism of fire and I was hoping that I did enough to convince our producer at the time Michael Lynn to give me another go I, wanted, I just wanted another go right. to prove I could do this like, because they were looking at giving myself and Conor McNamara a chance before they went outside uh, and brought someone else in and we, we pleaded like that we're good enough and I think time is told we're kind of good enough in the end you know, and I'm just delighted Michael Lynn gave us that chance absolutely has and Trevor like, let's think of the, the major sporting moments of the last 20 years I mean Saipan is one that resonates with, with Cork people especially with Irish people overall do you remember where you were when that story broke I'd imagine it was kind of the media landscape was different back then you didn't have Twitter or Facebook so what was it like covering the Saipan story when Roy Keane was sent home or left the Irish squad at the World Cup yeah I remember it well um, like everybody does but I, I, I suppose a particular reason for remembering it so well because I was in the office um, when I saw a line coming through from I think it was Cattle Dervin who broke the story I think and because um, he just witnessed there was a bit of um, some incident in the training ground with Roy throwing a water bottle in the direction I think of Packy Bonner I think and I think it had something to do with Che Given maybe and that the goalkeepers hadn't done their bit in training or something like that but I just followed the line closely and I just made our um, head of news aware of it at the time Bob uh, Bob Hughes and I said you see this and you know some of our colleagues like inside had said um, you know so they storm the teacup you know maybe he's getting a bit carried away the journalist like and you know, you know Roy like and maybe just something small like you know and I said yeah maybe yeah I said but just keep an eye on it and remember Bob Hughes had said to me look go with it on the news but you know, allegedly, like, is the word, like, this, we don't know how true it is or what's gone on there, because we're not out there, obviously. But I remember they went put in in the end, and I remember Sky, I went down with Sky and did a quick interview, and um, just what we knew, we just told them what we knew, you know, and um, I was just telling Sky how valuable Roy Keane is um, to the Republic of Ireland. Obviously, a small nation, we're not blessed with world class players, and Roy's crucial for, for us to. Uh, to go to Saipan as the leader, like the captain, and um, you know, but that was my kind of experience of it at the time, and the rest is history, as of course. Though. Well, he's up there, one of the best we've seen over the last 20, 30 years, however long. Some would say all time, Trevor. I guess we're approaching twenty twenty now, so we're twenty years into the, the millennium, the twenty mm-hmm. first century. Who ranks as, as your greatest sports star of the twenty first century? I mean, we've had so many. We've been spoiled for choice, really, haven't we? Yeah, spoiled for choice, definitely. I mean, Roy, for what he did, like, was superb. And, you know, it's great for us, being Cork people, like, that he was the United captain for so long and the Irish captain, probably the greatest player Ireland ever had. Um, you know, Dennis Irwin, I saw I was a big fan of, didn't get the credit he deserves probably, but so versatile, Mr. Dependable, playing any full-back position, the two full-back positions for United for so long. I think Alan Hansen had said, like, if you're picking the best left-back to ever play in the Premiership, the best right-back, Dennis Irwin would have the two, which is a huge compliment, like, and not a talker fella as well, which is, yeah. which is great. So... You know, we were spoiled for choice, I suppose, but in the whole global game, 
you know, people would ask me who was my favourite player to watch as a commentator like that I commentated on. And I suppose a lot of people would say would probably think I'd say Messi or Ronaldo, which I commented in both of them like and, but it wasn't. It was actually Zidane. I, I just I, I just loved watching Zidane as a big man and the balance and the way he went about his business and to score two goals in the World Cup final barely celebrated. And I backed France on the strength of Zidane to win the World Cup in ninety eight. And I always it was one of my ambitions to get near him and get a photograph, you know, and I, I came very close in Turin when he played Juventus, but he was with his family at the time. And I remember going to the toilet and looking back, he was gone. So that was a huge <laughs> slip yeah, right. at the time, like school by error. Like. Uh, but, um, you know, Zidane was one of my favourites to watch as a footballer. Um, I suppose my, my favourite sportsman ever was a boxer, like Muhammad Ali. Just growing up as a kid, like, my dad allowed me to stay up and watch him. And I felt, you know, a bond with him, which is hard to describe. Like, I felt I, felt I knew him. I think he had influence on people. You met yeah. him as well, and I met him. Yeah, I, I, I think that was the highlight of my sporting career, really. Um, of all the people to meet, I never re- actually got nervous even interviewing Ferguson about six or seven times, like Alex Ferguson. I was never really nervous, and, but I was nervous meeting Ali, even though he wasn't well at the time I met him. Um, you know, obviously, um, in two thousand and nine, um, ten years ago, August two thousand nine, Dublin. I'll never forget it. And, I paid actually the foundation, which I believe a thousand euro, to meet him. I remember it was five hundred euro to attend the kind of function that he was at. It was a dinner, and then another five hundred for the gold ticket to get a photograph. And I couldn't leave the the opportunity go. Like I had to. I was I was willing to go to Kentucky to try and meet him, but that was hit and miss. It could have been away, you know. Yeah. yeah. But I said he's in Dublin, so and I was in Dublin at the time, living there, and uh, I met him in the um, what was it called the old. Um, Berkeley Court Hotel and um, I remember going up putting my hand around his shoulder and I just whispered to him I said I waited for this moment all my life and I said I always knew I'd meet the champ and I said the greatest of the greatest yeah. and I put my fist up to him and he gave a little smile and he put his fist back and I have the photograph to prove it but that was I wanted to go back and put my hand around him again like, but you moved on quickly oh, right. by the powers that be but that was magical yeah yeah that was magical but I suppose it, in, in, in recent times sports person I admire the most I think he's the greatest role model ever is Roger Federer yeah. and uh, I just think he's you know win, win or lose I think he, he always takes his beating like never makes excuses the way he goes about his business coolness personified a bit like Bjorn Borg in his time was my hero kind of as a tennis player in the, in the 70s growing up Federer has really caught the imagination and I think he is the greatest example of any sports person probably ever and his longevity as well I mean 10 years ago he was talking about packing it up and now he nearly won Wimbledon this year yeah. he was inches away from winning the final yeah and I, I was going mad actually like believe it or not I get very emotional about sport and I actually nearly cried that day because uh, you know on another day he wouldn't let that go you know I, I, I just feel that the way he played he deserved it actually he was the more aggressive player yeah. and uh, you know I, I just thought he kind of deserved it but um, phenomenal sportsman he's another guy you know it wouldn't worry me if I didn't meet Many more sports, you know, because I, I was so, so lucky, really, fortunate to meet all my heroes, like, in, including uh, a weapon sport, Bono. <laughs> but uh, Federer is the one. Federer and Zidane are, are the two I'd love to meet. Interesting. Another guy you met a few times and interviewed him is Jose Mourinho, the uh, former Porto, Chelsea, um, Real Madrid manager, Man United manager as well. Nowadays, the Tottenham Hotspur gaffer. I want to ask you about the incident with the custard creams, Trevor. <laughs> you, yourself, Mourinho, and custard creams, what happened? Yeah, I know, it's infamous by now. Um, 
you know, there's two parts to the stories, you know. But in 2010, when he brought his Inter Milan team back to Stamford Bridge, was the former Chelsea manager, of course, and his Inter Milan team went on all the way to win the Champions League in 2010. But they beat Chelsea in the quarter final. And, um, you know, TV3, to be fair, like, I suppose we'd have been way down the list in terms of getting the post-match interviews, the cream the creme of the creme, we'd say. And Mourinho would be obliged only to do, we'd say, two interviews, okay. which would be probably the host broadcaster at the time, and then Sky, and then after that it's pop look like that if he comes out or not. But he'd done three interviews, and I, and I thought there's no way in getting him known, but um, we were in the, the hallway of Stamford Bridge, um, and he was on the way up the concourse to the building, he said the hallway there on the way to going out the exit door onto the bus. And we were still on air, and it was about, we were on air till 10, and it was about four minutes to 10, I'd say. Right. And he's coming up, and I said to the lads live, I said, I might get him here, I might get him. And I said to the UEFA guy, can I just, one question, he goes, one question, he said. And he was coming up, but he was eating his biscuits, and I, he, it was a big thing about, he knew, he knew where the biscuits were stashed, that's where everyone knows him at Stamford Bridge, and he knows where everything is at Stamford Bridge, just getting at Chelsea, I think, a bit. A bit of uh, gamesmanship before the game. We know Jose is fond of that stuff. And I saw him taking out the custard cream and he put it in his mouth. And I said, Jose, well done tonight. And uh, he didn't know we were live. And he was eating the biscuit. He goes, thank you. And I goes, we're live. And he goes, oh, sorry. And he, he was eating the biscuit. And he finished it. And I was at the talking because we were live. And I said, your favourite biscuits? And he goes, yeah, yeah, favourite biscuits. Custard creams? Yes, custard creams. I love them. And... Uh, Proceeded them with the interview saying well done and how good it was and can they go all the way which we know they did in the end so that was part one and kind of uh, got a great reaction and I think um, Jacobs I was at Bowlands at the time probably and I think it was Jacobs sending boxes of biscuits to TV3 after really? yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah one for everyone in the audience in, in the newsroom at the time and um, of course a few years later then he, when he went back to Chelsea and they won another quarter final I think it was goal in the last minute and um I had the biscuits ready. I bought them before I left Cork for part two. But obviously, I would only use it. If they were beaten, I wouldn't have used it. But yeah, I just yeah. had them just in case. And I knew the feel-good factor after getting through, and he was in great form. And I interviewed him again. Got him lucky enough to get him again. Probably had no right to get him, because we were about fifth on the list. And I got him third again. So I uh, said to the camera woman, I think it was an ITV camera person at the time, I said, look, I'm going to go on a wide shot at the end, because I'm going to present him a pack of biscuits. And she goes, yeah, no problem. So we went to the white shot and I goes, Jose, the biscuits are on TV3 tonight. And he got the joke and he looked at me and I'm not saying he remembered me, but he got it. And he goes, thank you, I'll, I'll eat them on the bus, he said. <laughs> that went viral as well, I think. Yeah, viral um, on Twitter yeah, that yeah, night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. So I'm sure you're one journalist that Jose won't forget anyway, Trevor. Uh, looking to the new year, um, we've got the Euros in Dublin, which is fantastic. Can we qualify? Um, it's going to be a tough one. I mean, Slovakia obviously are ranked higher than us. Um, I think it's a 50-50 one. Um, it's uh, obviously now like just uh, two finals as such like I mean I know it's the semi-final but it's all riding on that and and then a final with either Northern Ireland or Bosnia or Savagovina like I mean I think away from home as well um, it's not going to be easy uh, we can't score goals I mean I, I, I love McGoldrick he works hard but you know he doesn't score goals he just lacks that bit of composure I think when we're looking for a goal scorer, I mean, if we had Robbie Keane, I think I would say, yeah, we qualify. But, um, you know, the last game, though, gives us hope, doesn't it? Like, I, I thought our game plan against Denmark was impressive. And when we go at teams, it shows you, like, that we, 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 can, we, can create, we can create chances. And the goals are coming from our defenders, like, aren't they? I mean, Duffy is a top scorer. And then Matt Doherty gets yeah. us back in the game against Denmark. 
I just think we need more of an input, a bit of creativity, more creativity from midfield. And, um, you know, if he picks the right side, I think we could do it. I think we could do it. Like, it's going to be very tight. Maybe extra time against Slovakia. And then final again could be 50-50. Fingers crossed. Well, it's great that we've got three games in, in Dublin to look forward to, whether the Republic of Ireland are involved or not. But hopefully they are. Close at home, Trevor. You're a, you're a lifelong Cork City FC fan in their various guises. Uh, 2019 was a difficult year for the club a, a period of transition yet again how can how can they do in 2020? It's going to be very tough because uh, as everyone has seen recently I mean um, they're not that song financially now and um, you know to compete with the likes of Dundalk and Rovers and you know, the likes of Pats now even Shelburne coming up threatened you know, they've lost a good few players Shane Griffin will be gone Carl Shepard's gone um, Gary Buckley um, you know, they're relying now on youth, like when the young fellas through. Um, hopefully, um, we can compete to some level in terms of putting in a challenge for Europe. Um, it's going to be a massive challenge for, for Neil Finn and Joe Gamble. And the lights see Joe Gamble coming in, strength and conditioning coach, and he was one of our greatest players, I think. Very educated yeah, players, you know, yeah. very industrial. Um, thought he was, he was one of our best players ever, Gamble. It's great to see him back. Um, hopefully and hopefully they'll start well I think it's very important to start well because as you know the crowds were down last season to about 2000 which is disappointing to see like you have to stay with your team thick and thin like through thick and thin and I think if they start well it'll be a bit of encouragement for people to get out and play good football um, and I think they will under Fenn and Gamble fingers crossed we can um, we can start well and um, be competitive especially at home I think at home last year was you know yourself, Turner's Cross is always a very hard place to come and win. So our record at home last year was appalling. Like, and um, I just hope that you know we can maybe compete for one or two trophies, be it in the cup, and challenge for Europe. Um, but I'd appeal to the crowd, go out and support them, and I think give the young fellas a chance as well, like, and give them every encouragement for next season. You know. Yeah. Trevor, before we finish up, a couple of things that we're going to ask every guest, I suppose. First of all, a, you know, a book or an album. Um, that you've that you've read or listened to recently that you that you'd recommend. Funny enough, like I haven't bought a lot of albums recently. I tend to go back. I have a lot of CDs in my car, like, and I see I'm a massive U2 fan, and I go back to the rawness of U2 and their first album, Boy, and Out of Control. Okay. Um, you know, um, Eleven O'clock TikTok, all that stuff, that raw, edgy stuff, almost kind of uh, almost punk. Uh, you know. I'm a kind of an excitable character, like, and sometimes when I'm before a match, believe it or not, like to, to get myself motivated and up, I listen to all that stuff. There's okay. nothing modern that it does of me in that in that in that kind of vein, you know. Interesting. There's no controlled aggression or something anymore. I I don't know that, you know, even it's a breath of fresh air actually to hear the Cork band, um, the Morda Capital, Corkville is singing, and kind of like it. And it's a you know a bit like Joy Division, that kind of. I was a big Joy Division fan as well, and Echo and the Bunny Men and. The Clash and they're my kind of band, you know. Um, the Doors, you know, and I love, love the 80s stuff. I still put the 80s into the car like, and go through it. So, modern day, there's nothing grabs me. I might like one or two songs, but not the album. If you're not gonna... So, like, that must have made seeing you two on your home turf in County Cork many years ago all the more special then, Trip. Now that you look back on it, yeah, unreal. And, like, and I was fortunate enough to meet Bono in Cork as well. Like, so, I have a lot to be thankful for in terms of meeting the stars and they say like don't meet your heroes but for me that's not true because I met Bono twice and he never disappointed like I met him in 82 after seeing him in the city hall about 800 people at it with the bouncy floor 
And um, somebody told, I think it was my mother, that knowing that I was a big U2 fan, even as a kid, um, that uh, they were staying in Jory's in the Western Road. And I waited there for hours. And I saw him going into the restaurant with his girlfriend at the time, Ali, now married, of course. And, um, and he looked very much like a punk himself. Then the hair up, I think Bonham was influenced by the punk era and the chains on his jeans and the leather jacket and stuff. And I waited for about an hour and a half and I came out of the restaurant with Ali, hand-draped around the shoulder, I'll never forget it. And I came up with my um, October album, actually, and I uh, asked him to sign it. And he said, what are they put in it? And I just said, Bono to Trevor Cork. And he said, Bono to Trevor Jory's Cork, 82. I was 17. And um, years on then, I, I, I had it in an album with plastic over it in a big fish box at home in the attic for years. And uh, still have it. And um, in around 2006, when TV3 had our sports night out, we were in Raynard, it's now closed, nightclub in Dublin. And Bono was there with Googie and uh, his wife, Googie's wife, and a bottle of wine and three glasses. And we'd be out all day, it was a little bit tipsy, like, but <laughs> when I saw Bono, I sobered up, just the, the tinted the glasses reflecting off the, the mirrors, you know. And the lads were slagging me, said, Bono's there, you have to go over and own. I'm a fanatical U2 fan. So I put the red rope out of the way, you know, in the VIP area, era, area and I went over to him, and I... I had a feeling he might say, get lost or something, and I would kill it me forever. Like, but my opening sentence, I'd say, caught him. I says, hi, Bono. I'm a massive U2 fan, loyal U2 fan. Saw you in the City Hall in Cork in 82 on a bouncy floor with 800 people. And he said, sit down. And then he gives me a high kind of rock and roll handshake, and he says, U2 fans are loyal. And my best Cork accent, like I said, loyal. And I said, I nearly got killed backing up U2 down the years, and he was laughing. But, we, you know, I did, the lads were timing it. And uh, there was a fiver a man, like, I think, who got the closest, like. And they were all way out, because they all gave me about a minute for him. <laughs> Eight and a half minutes. And uh, the handshake at the end. And, uh, you know, he didn't disappoint. And uh, I was delighted with our second coming. It was like Jose Mourinho, to meet him twice, and then meet the great Bono, Paul Hewson twice. It was great, you know. That was incredible. Uh, Finally, Trevor, one or two things. Uh, you're calling on the people of Cork to, to delve into their sports books collections and all in aid of a worthy cause this Christmas. Yeah, I was home one day, Jordan, and um, only a week ago. And, you know, being on radio, you've seen yourself, uh, different book companies, publishers will send in books like to review or to, to plug it or whatever. Um, I suppose I, I built up the collection over years and my own books, a load of my own books that I've read, and I had them in boxes. And uh, I said, what do I do with them, you know? Because if you give them to shops or whatever, you would only get a couple of quid for it. And I had recently just did a gig with the proceeds going to um, Torpenny Dinners it was for Pat McAuliffe as a quiz in his memory you know and the raffle money which was around 1600 went to Torpenny Dinners and I just got the idea then and I rang Katrina and I said what do you think we'll have a big book sale big sports book sale Trevor's big sports book sale five or a book and all proceeds will appeal to people of Cork to get their unused unwanted books that are thrown out to sell them into Cork's 96FM or Penny Dinners we'll sell them five euro and then I just got more ideas out of it like it grew and grew I said why don't we get sports personalities in where they're all around us like the likes of you know Ronald Gara's written a book Peter Stringer Teddy Mack the history he has Billy Morgan Rob Heffern's going to bring in his Olympic medal and world medal we're going to have all those sports personalities there on the day Tommaso Shea will come in with the O'Shea trilogy of books Neil Fenn with his Cork City Books trilogy they're all going to come in on the day and it's great that I could look into the extensive contacts book and you know nine times out of ten people will say yes you know and they're going to come in on the day the 20th of December if anyone has unwanted sports books to drop into us 
from 10 o'clock in the morning to 6 and 4 Little Hanover Street where Cork Penidina's base is and you know Katrina who does a tremendous job for Cork Penidina has said you know outside the money it's just going to widen the awareness of Cork Penidina and what they do when people come in on the day 10 o'clock to 6 so unwanted sports books drop them in 5 or a book and uh, you know we hope to raise as much money as we can the important thing is for people it's, it's pointless us having like a thousand books and there are no one coming in to buy them so the, the big thing is that that people will come in and give us a five or a book. It's, yeah. it's not much, like, and it will go a long way. As the fella says, every penny counts, and uh, you know the score. Please support that if you can. Is there a sports book you rank above the rest, Trevor? Yeah, I suppose. You know, I've read tons and tons of sports books, and sports books have been my number one read. Like autobiographies, biographies, you know, and Muhammad Ali is, is my favourite one, Life and Times. Like, there's about twenty books in Ali, um, but um, Thomas Hauser is an incredible writer and um, he was given licence he was probably the only one that Ali gave the thumbs up to like, and gave him the clearance to go in and interview the family and so on and I'd recommend that book to anyone I read that book about three times it's a uh, Life and Times of Muhammad Ali which is fascinating to uh, where he started his career and where he ended up and you know, what he went through in all the years um, so that's probably my number one Thomas Hauser Life and Times I read a lot of really good boxing books like you know Reuben Carter, which Bob Dylan wrote about the hurricane, um, a lot of, lot of great, a lot of great soccer books as well. I, I mean, most recent one I read, I suppose, Ibrahimovic, which is interesting because he's uh, a Bohemian, like obviously, like uh, he's not, he's not shy in telling how good he is, like Ibrahimovic. But it's Zlatan, it's a good one as well. I recommend, you know. Trevor, lastly, what is it that makes you tick? What motivates you each day, each week, each time you turn up to do a match? I suppose, like. I like to get up early. I think a lot of ideas come to me, funny enough, early. I always thought I'd like to go have a go off a breakfast show because my ideas seem to come to me early in the morning for some reason. And I bought this book recently called Dangerously Good Ideas, and I put a lot of things into that. And I like to think that I can execute it, like, and at least, you know, go for it. Uh, anything I wrote into it, I went for, like, podcasts and, you know, the Penny Dinners thing, um, quizzes and stuff. Jolly Roger book as well. Jolly Roger book, which... A huge thing for me, really, like if I'm a seven old to write, because everyone talked about it down the years. Like all the guys went through pirate radio, and there was a lot of them, mm. and we we put it into motion. Like I'm mean, delighted we got it out in 2015. Um, what motivates me, really, I suppose, is just I had a baby recently as well. Like I like getting up early with her as well, giving her breakfast and hearing all the funny things she says. Like you know, she's two now, lol. Um, but I think life motivates me. I have a huge hunger and appetite for life. I love people. Like I love tapping into people and phoning people and I'm, I'm a small but half mad I'd say behind it all even though a lot of people think I'm kind of calm like, but I'd say I'm kind of half mad if they saw me home myself like I put on music early in the morning like you two stuff and dance around the place and sing <laughs> and um, you know with, with researching for the commentaries um, you know I love learning about players new players that I haven't heard about and uh, you know I suppose I, I developed a kind of a format for, for, for research which only came recently to me, believe it or not, and I'm commentating like about 30 years um, between multi channel and TV3 and Virgin. But what I do now is do them in sections and um, you know, spend two hours, go in and play music, clear the head, go for a walk, come up with other ideas, go through that, make sure it's alright, then part two. Cool. It's like a skeleton, I always say, I'm putting the meat on the skeleton, you know, you know, comm- commentating like that. And you know, I listen to, to music, I suppose, and going for walks and you know, there's plenty of motivation, you know, in all walks of life, really, I suppose. But uh, 
you know, I'm, I'm self-motivated, really. Like, and, you know, I was looking for new ideas and I was thinking, like, I was off the thinking cap on, you know. Well, Trevor, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a million for taking time out to speak to me on Leaside Lives today. And uh, we had a really picturesque setting for our chat alongside the River Lee. Yeah. And uh, thanks a million. I love it. Where we sported and played. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd sit out here for hours actually reading the book. Actually, it's just so calm, isn't it, the River Lee? And I think we're just, we're just blessed as, as Cork people. There's beauty all around us. And I remember just before we finished it, it reminded me there when I was just sitting looking at the Lee, um, you know, overlooking the, lo- the longest building in, in Europe, apparently, the old St. Anne's. And, and um, the county hall behind us was once the highest building in Ireland. But just below us, down there, the Mardyke, obviously, like, which is usually famous with, for sport in, in Cork. But I remember a fellow t- telling me a story from the examiner office years ago that it was a famous cricketer came over to Cork in the 50s, I think, maybe 60s. And um, it was a sunny day, a beautiful sunny day in the Mardyke. And he was taking a cork, like Cork's beauty, you know, going through the city and the way it was shaped like a valley. And he'd been up the Mardyke and it was a huge crowd went up to see him, like. And he was probably the top cricketer in England at the time. Of, his name escapes me. But it was a sunny day anyway. And the Mardyke just looked pristine. The grass was cut. It just looked beautiful. And he had an off day, like. And he was interviewed by the examiner reporter. And he said, how come you were so poor today? Everyone came to see you. And he goes, my dear man, he said, how can you be expected to play cricket with beautiful surroundings like this? And it just reminds me of this kind of area, down the Mardyke, yeah. the Lee, and the Shaky Bridge and all that area. It's probably my favourite part of Cork. Beautiful city, beautiful county we live in. Trevor, thanks a million. Thanks, Jordan.